Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So when it comes to being called by God to lead, do you ever feel daunted? The task is too overwhelming. Now remember, this is how Timothy was feeling. The obstacles are too great or the enemies are too strong and the enemies are too vocal. Do we let the enemy disqualify us? Do, the, do we let the devil say what we can and can't do? Do we let the voices of those who hate us limit us in what God is calling us to do? Do you ever feel inadequate, not educated enough? Like, Lord, this is not where my education was to lead me. My, my education was for um, children to be a teacher. Or I'm not experienced enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I, I really, I use the wrong words. Not tough enough. Lord, I, I don't have that hide of a rhino. Have you ever felt like asking God to get someone else? Father, can, can you just look? She looks really good. When we were in Vista, when the call would get kind of hard as a pastor's wife, remember I'm like 23 years old, I'm doing Bible studies, and Brian got a couple of letters of complaint. I will say that they were from a girl who wanted to be his wahini instead of me. But I remember saying, you know, Father, if she'd be a better fit, you can take my life. If if she's the right one, because she said she was, and I'm the wrong one for him. And I said, Brian, I prayed. He goes, do not pray that. I don't want her. I want you. I'm like, why? I mean, she even said she's better. She put it in a five-page letter. I mean, this woman literally had five reasons why I should not be Brian's wife or the pastor's wife of the church. Five reasons. They were pretty good as I read over them. Have you ever thought, Lord... I, you could find someone so much better than me. You could find someone who is more righteous, stronger, less baggage, right? More talented, more personable. Oh, I see those personable people, and I want to be personable so bad. But I just rather watch the personable people. Smarter, definitely. More gregarious. You know, it's so funny. My mother-in-law will call me and she'll say, hello, Cheryl. I wish I could be more gregarious. And I say, Carol, I wish I could be calmer. More organized, more eloquent, younger, older, less busy, more experienced, Professional, Moses had a similar issue when God called him. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. When God began to call Moses, Moses hadn't even been in Egypt and among the people of God for 40 years. Like, I haven't seen them in 40 years. They don't even know me anymore. I'm out of touch I'm so irrelevant. 
He hadn't been under the burden that they were feeling. He'd been working for his father-in-law. Now, that seems like a disqualifier right there. Working for his father-in-law for 40 years. He didn't have his own company. He didn't have his own job. He was just relying on what his father-in-law gave him to do. He was married with children. He was settled in, and he was settled down. His occupation was a shepherd, which was considered an abomination to the Egyptians. Like, Lord, I'm a shepherd. Maybe you said that, Lord, I'm a mother. Not even a good one, but I'm a mother. Especially, I'm a mother of teenagers. They don't like me. He had been on the backside of the desert when God called him by name. Moses, Moses. You think about it. Have you ever thought somebody was calling your name and you wait for that second one, right? Like, did I hear my name? And then you're like, no. And then they say it again. The other day, I'm, I'm like in the mall and I hear somebody like saying, Cheryl. And I'm like, no, I did not hear that. Cheryl. And I'm thinking, no. And I walk out And this guy follows me out, and I probably would have turned around, but he looked a little scary. So I just pretended I wasn't Cheryl. But two times points to the certainty, it's definitely you, Moses. And then the Lord said, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. The call of God is holy. We can't do it in our own sandals. We, we can't do it with anything between us and God. It's holy ground. God identified himself with all those that Moses esteemed. Think about it. I mean, here are these heroes, the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God told Moses what he had seen, the oppression of Israel, that he had seen it and that he had heard it. And he's saying, Moses, I want to show you what I see. And I want you to hear what I hear. And I want you to feel about these things, what I feel. Then God promised to be with Moses. I will be with you. And God gave Moses his plan of action. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to plague the land. I'm going to lead you out with the whole company of Israel to a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's God's call to Moses. And in chapter 4, we get Moses' answer. God, that's a great plan. Choose somebody else. Because maybe you don't realize I'm nobody. I'm a desert dweller. I I don't know anybody I don't have a name among those people. Why me? I have no credibility or authority with these people. In fact, I've been canceled. I'm not eloquent, and I've never been eloquent. I'm a very slow speaker. I've never been accused of that. I think my problem would be I'm a very fast speaker. Please send somebody else. And God's answer to Moses was, I made your mouth. 
and I will put my words in it. I just need a mouth. I just need a mouth. I'll do everything else. I'll move it. I'll speak through it. And again, God says, I will be with you, but I'm going to send your brother with you. I think we've all struggled with feelings of inadequacy. Those things that disqualify us. But disqualifications or inadequacy are no reason to decline the call of God to leadership because it's not about you as much as it's about God wanting someone to use. It's about God having a work to do and calling you into it. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20, Paul encourages Timothy to answer the call to leadership by, first, proclaiming again to Timothy the enabling power of God for leadership. Secondly, by restating God's prerequisites for leadership. Thirdly, by Paul citing his own disqualifications and how God turned it around to use it for glory. Fourthly, the power of God, who is the one who is called. Fifthly, the prophecies are words of God spoken to Timothy and over Timothy. And finally, the purpose and need of leadership, reminding him of that. I don't know about you, but sometimes in response to the call of leadership, I feel like those used items in Amazon. You know that? Like when you don't want to pay full price for an item, it will show you like others that are used, and it will say like acceptable, you know, uh, pages are torn, or it's missing some pages, or no cover on the book, or gently used or has some wear and tear, um, some scuff marks, but works fine, readable. The Lord has purchased us just as we are, not for what we bring to the table, but to showcase his marvelous grace through us. The more wear and tear, the more disqualified, the more people are forced to see Jesus in us. As Paul remarks in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that they have to see that God has put his treasure in earthen vessels so that he gets all the glory. Honestly, I think the Lord chose my dad for that reason. My dad, honestly, did not have a cool bone in his body. It was not like you'd see Pastor Chuck and go, he's so cool. You just wouldn't. He actually did not surf on a surfboard when he would say, you know, Pastor Chuck surfs. He surfed with fins on an inflatable raft. I remember when he was going to take me surfing, and I was so excited, and we went down to Huntington Pier, and we rented those rafts. Remember those rafts that were made out of fabric? That's what he did. He did those fabric rafts. But when boogie boards came out, he became the boogie board guy. My dad never cared about being 
cool. He just didn't care. He had a chipped front tooth until he had to get all caps because all of his teeth were bad. All of them. He didn't even eat that much sugar. He didn't chew bubble gum. But he just, he just did not have strong enamel. And talk about not being cool. He was raised in a thoroughly Pentecostal, Bible-believing, evolution-rejected, unabashedly Christian home. And that was his whole environment was church. They were the family that was at church every time the doors were open. They were the family that invited the guest speaker over to their house for a roast on Sunday afternoon. They were the the type, my grandmother taught Sunday school. My grandpa was, in whatever church play was going on, my grandpa was one of the main characters. He he was one of the magi. He played Herod. He was the innkeeper. Just, this was his specialty. They were a thoroughly Christian, almost isolated, insulated home. My dad knew very little about the world or worldliness. He even went to a Christian college. He didn't understand hippies at all. He didn't get them. Like, why would you not want to work? My dad loved to work. He would work two to three jobs. He thought work was wonderful. He had no regard for guitars. He didn't even like the way they sounded. It's like, can't you pick it or make it, make it more melodic? He played the piano, and he could only play one song, which was Autumn Leaves on the piano. And he could do the front part of Joy to the World. He was like, look, Cheryl, Joy to the World. He could do Joy to the World. He could do that part. He was a good old boy from a good old family. He never took a drug, not even aspirin, in his whole life. He never had wine. In fact, if he smelled it at communion, he didn't drink it. Or any type of liquor. He never even went to the movies. I was with my dad at his first movie experience, and he felt guilt. We went to see the Bible with George C. Scott. And then emboldened by that movie, we saw Ben-Hur. Yet when the call of God came to him. He said, yes. He said, yes. The call was 40 years in the making. Before that time, he was transferred from one church to another. When I was in kindergarten, and I went to two different kindergartners, one kindergartens, something like that, classes. One was in Corona, and then one was in Newport Beach because we moved. By the time I was five years old, we had moved six times. I had lived in six or seven different houses by the time I was five years old because my dad kept being transferred from church to church. He usually had to work two jobs other than the pastorate to feed his family. He worked construction, boat cleaning, mobile home cleaning, butcher, gardener. In fact, the country club um, golf course on Santa Ana Avenue I don't know how many of you know where that is, that huge golf course between Santa Ana and and Newport Boulevard. He used to mow it with a hand mower. He was the, the man out there mowing the lawn. He didn't even golf. Somebody gave him a, a set of golf clubs. 
He never even golfed. This was who he was. And he didn't even really want his kids mixed up with hippies. But when God said yes, he said, all right, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't even know who the Beatles were. Even when my brother said, these are the Beatles, he's like, Bucks? I mean, he did not know the Beatles. He never even listened to a Beatles song in his entire life. He wouldn't have even recognized one if he heard it. But this thing he did, he said, yes, yes, whatever, Lord, I'm yours. Do whatever you want. See, the call is about what God wants to do. And it is a call to partnership with God, to simply be used and enabled by God to serve with God. It is not our work, but his. So we began in verse 12 with God's enabling grace. I love this scripture. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Who enabled Paul? The Lord. How was Paul able to be in the ministry? The Lord. What qualification did he bring? Faithful, holding on to the Lord. Ultimately, leadership is all about the call of God, what God wants to do. And simply saying yes and then following orders, Jesus does the rest. Those who refuse the call of God, no, find someone else, will never feel or sense the power of enabling grace. There is nothing like doing something by enabling grace. Nothing like it. it I still remember the thrill of having my training wheels taken off my bike because I had never ridden on two wheels before. It had always been those four, as they call them in England, stabilizers. And I remember my dad was holding, because it was banana seat. Remember the banana seats with the, the bars in the back? He was holding on to it. He was running along with me. He said, you're doing so good. You're doing so good. And I'm like, am I still doing good, Dad? Am I still doing good? Dad? Dad? And I hear this voice, way to go. And I'm like, and it dawned on me, I don't know how to ride a bike. And that's when I crashed into the telephone pole. But there was that elation of doing it, like I'm actually pedaling and I'm not falling over. Again, tell the telephone pole. But there is this ecstasy, this divinity that is poured into us that is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians, the very last chapter, Paul said, you're always looking for evidence that God is working in your midst. But I'm telling you that God wants to be mighty in you. You see, we're always looking like, is God working? Is he working? And God says, I want to work. I want to make you the miracle. I want to work through you so you can say it's not me. It's God's enabling grace. And you can testify to other people, you can do this because it's what God does, not what I'm conjuring up. 
There are those who will always live in their comforts and their expertise and only what comes naturally. But God is calling us way beyond ourselves, way beyond what we feel comfortable doing to a place that we can only do what we do by the enabling grace of God. This is the grace that God talked about in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that grace that is sufficient for all things and even manifested in our weakness. It gets stronger the weaker we are. It gets better the worse that we are. There is nothing like God's enabling grace. I asked you to pray at the conference, uh, for the conference I spoke at, the Ablaze conference, the one that was like with all of the music from the uh, Jesus movement. I asked you to pray. I didn't want to speak at it. I kept praying for COVID, even though I've been inoculated, just a really good excuse not to go. I told God all the reasons that I wasn't the right person to speak at this. Greg Laurie went before me. He is polished. He's professional. He's packaged. And me, he had notes. He's so good. Oh, give you. He's so dynamic. And I'm sitting there, and all I'm getting is more and more intimidated. Like, why? Why me? And I'm asking God for something. Like, Father, give me anything. I got, I got one phrase. Hong Kong flu. That's all I got. I'm like, show me. Is there a story I can tell? Father, it's going to be me. Give me something. Hong Kong flu. It's like, seriously? Give me something. Hong Kong flu. Next thing I knew, this girl said, I get up there. And and this man's introducing me. And he's like, I've heard that you... Do a podcast. I'm like, yeah. I heard that you, and you know, I'm supposed to say something like, yes, it's on. And I'm like, yeah. Up in front of everyone. Yeah. I heard you read your Bible every day. Yeah. Heard you do a women's Bible study. I'm like, I'm smiling because that's what I do when I'm nervous. (laughs) Yeah. And he goes, and you have something to share. You know what? During the 60s, we didn't have COVID. We had a Hong Kong flu. We didn't have global warming. We had the ozone. We didn't have, Viet- uh, we didn't have Afghanistan. We had Vietnam. Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, it just started flowing. And like in the 60s, they were so scary. We had people hijacking. Now we have terrorists hijacking. We had the same thing, but God broke through, and he began to speak and meet people and give us these wonderful transforming testimonies, and I was mesmerized by what Jesus could do, and our Father wants to do the same thing. So then I prayed, and I got off the stage. Five minutes. And when I got down, the lady who had gone, she gave me a high five. She even grabbed my hand and said, thank you, thank you, because I got him back on track with the timing. (laughs) Do you want to feel the Lord working through you 
then say yes and follow orders. Secondly, God's qualifications are so different than men. God is not looking for expertise, experience, or education. God is looking for faithfulness. Will you say yes? Will you just do what he says? He's looking for loyalty. Second Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord wrote, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Did you catch that? What's a prerequisite for God to work? Are you loyal to him? Is he your only God? Is he who you look to in trouble and hard times? Those who look to God, God will manifest himself. Just show up. Just show up. Just attend. God is the one who counts as worthy. He qualifies. He equips. He enables. He places. Thirdly, Paul, by all accounts, should never have been placed in leadership. Imagine his job application for pastor, church planter, and evangelist. Former occupation? Blasphemer. Persecutor. Insolent man. Seriously, would you buy a used car from this man? Paul had worked against the church in every way possible. And he even was deluded enough to think he was pleasing God and that this is what God wanted him to do. You know, it's one thing if he was knowing, I'm working against the church. And I'm working against Jesus and against God. I can see, like, coming to his senses, but he was so deluded, he thought, God wants me to do this. That's a strong delusion. And yet, God saved him. When he had an encounter with Jesus, Acts chapter 9, he obtained mercy. Don't you love how great God's mercy is? In Psalm 36, 57, and other Psalms, it says that God's mercy is higher than the sky. It reaches above the clouds. So great is his mercy for those who fear him. God's great, great mercy is inexhaustible, new every morning, and accessible to anybody who calls upon the Lord in truth. God knew the why and the what Paul needed to change the course of his life. So God, Jesus, met Paul on the road to Damascus, turned him completely around, talk about a 180, and called him not just to himself, but into leadership. And Paul's disqualifications were used by God for his divine purposes. Don't you love the way God turns things upside down? The very things that should have disqualified Paul were used by God for proof of the mission of Jesus, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul could say, I was an expert in sin. I was a professional sinner. And to show the greatness and depths and breadth, and height of the mercy of God. That's what Paul's life became proof of. Paul's life became proof that God can save anyone. 
if he can forgive and save a deluded Pharisee, persecutor of the church, like Paul, the worst of the worst. I don't think Paul was on anyone's prayer list for salvation. I think he was on the prayer list for extermination. We realize that no one is out of the reach of God, not one person. He's proof of Jesus' long-suffering, that Jesus is willing to go the extra mile to save the lost. He is willing to wait. In fact, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, God waits that he might be gracious. I mean, the fact that you lived until you got saved. You lived until you got saved, and then you really lived. But God did not take you out when you were a sinner. He kept showing patience and patience. Finally, he says, to set a pattern for anyone who will believe. Paul says, I'm that pattern. I'm that example that people can look at and say that God is able to save to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25. He's able to save to the uttermost all who come to him, but he is also to transform to the furthermost. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul said, that's what my testimony, that's what all my disqualifications point to. They point to a God who can do anything and amazing things. It wasn't just that Paul served a God that does miracles. Paul was the miracle. Paul came as the sign, as the miracle. His testimony was the miracle. We are dealing with God. Every other transformation or reclamation is limited. You can only repair an old car so many times. We had this Audi that we... um, I think we had it in the shop five times already. And, you know, we were, it was, the icons were coming on again. It was a 2005 or 2006, I think it was the first year that they made the Q7. And <laughs> Brian was like, Lord, how many times are we going to take this in? And it, it kept having the exact same problem. Brian's driving down the street, decides to get a cup of coffee. For some reason, at 6 o'clock at night, of course I'm gone. And a tree falls, just out of nowhere falls and totals the car. In fact, if I had been with Brian, I would be dead because it fell on the passenger side and over. And so it was like God saying, time for a new car. Just, you can't repair this thing anymore. You can't do it anymore. But when God works, when God works, you see, any other person who tries to fix or fix up, it's limited. You can only fix it so many times, but God is the king, the ultimate sovereign of all. His repairs are eternal repairs, forever fixed. God is eternal. Everything else, the fallen spirits, evil, death, mankind, all have a limited engagement, but God will outlast, outlast. God is immortal. 
He is not subject to weakness or the follies of men. He can do what he wants when he wants. That's why Paul is saying, Timothy, the one who qualified you is the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. This is the one who is working through you. He is invisible. He works in unseen ways and unseen realms to bring about his plan and his will. He is the only wise God. He knows what men can only guess at. This is the God who knows the consistency, the power, placement, age, and name of every star. Not movie stars, in the galaxy, but he knows the other two. He knows the DNA of every living thing. He knows the weight of every mountain. He knows the volume of every body of water. He knows the size of the universe. He knows every hair on the head of every person and animal. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He alone carries all this information within him. But he uses this information in wisdom, not just to go, I know more than you do. No. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge to God who alone is wise. He is the only one trustworthy with so much information because only he knows how to use it wisely. Therefore, God alone deserves the honor and the glory as he works through us. It is not us working for God, but God working through us. Think of it, the thrill of enabling grace when the great king, the eternal God, the immortal Lord, the one who works in unseen realms, the all-knowing, all-wise God says, I want to work through you. I want to speak through you. I want to do amazing things through you. So Paul says, the prophecy that was given to you, Timothy, I want you to remember what God said about you. And by Timothy remembering what God spoke through the voice of others from God, Timothy would be enabled. Why? Prophecy reminds us that our identity is hidden in Christ. It reminds us of who we are in Christ who we are to God, God's plans for us so that we are not daunted by opposition or setbacks, our own inadequacies. We are who God says we are. doesn't matter who your neighbor thinks you are. Who does God say you are? Have you been prophesied over? Has someone prayed for you and told you and reminded you, who you are, maybe even said things like, ah. like, remember when the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and says, oh, great warrior of God. Gideon's like, is there somebody else in the room? God will speak over you 
who he intends you to be, the trajectory he has for you. Prayer is so vital that we are prayed for. I'm surprised that every Sunday morning when they say the pastors are up front for prayer, that it's not packed out. You know why I think it's not packed out? Because we've stopped believing that God has a word for us. Because we no longer believe that we need prayer. But we need to have each other pray over us and speak God's word. No wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Seek to speak the word of God over people. This is a gift we are to exercise liberally toward one another. The purpose and the need of leaders. Let me say this. The church has enemies, seen and unseen. When I was growing up the other day, my brother Chuck and I were talking. We were talking about how mom and dad would pray over us. And at the same time, we both said, protect them from the enemy seen and unseen. That was a phrase they used in every single prayer they ever prayed for us as their children. Why? Because we have enemies that we can see and enemies we can't see. Disrupting, condemning, slandering, deconstructing, and seducing or seeking to seduce us. So leaders need to fight the good warfare. Good warfare takes strategy, obedience to commands, vigilance. This is good warfare, not bad warfare. This is not terrorism. This is not psychological intimidation. This is not slander. This is not with the weapons of men. This is with the weapons of God that are mighty. You see, good warfare requires the right enemies, not friendly fire. It requires the right battlefield, the right cause, and of course, the right weapons. Our enemy is the devil and the forces of evil, not flesh and blood. We are not to fight against those who teach the word and seek to evangelize the lost. As Paul said, no one speaking by the Spirit of God will work against Jesus. Maybe you remember John who said, Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but they weren't part of our tribe. So we forbid them, we rebuke them. And Jesus said, John, don't do that. You don't realize what spirit you're of. Those who are not against us are with us. Our battlefield is not in the church or even against the lost. This is where we come to be prepared, to be built up, to be prayed over, to be enabled, to receive the right information, the right guidance, the right commands. Nor is the world our battlefield. That's our mission field. But we must fight against the hordes of demonic powers in order to see the lost come to faith. 
Our cause is Jesus and to make Jesus known who he is, what he's done, and what he can do. The manifest transformative power of Jesus. And we must use the weapons of faith and a good conscience. This is what Paul says. Faith, our belief in God. Notice the absence of hostile weapons. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, when Jesus is warning Peter, he says, Peter, actually he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Your faith. Simon, if you hold on to your faith in me, Satan has no power. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 that the shield of faith is 100% effective in the quenching of every fiery dart of the enemy. Oh, we don't realize how powerful our faith is. Simply that hold onto Jesus keeps us from the tactics, the wiles of the devil and allows us to stand and stand and withstand. Then when you read all the armament in Ephesians 6, what is the activity that is given? We arm up so we can do what? Well, stand, yeah, but what else? (laughs) I didn't realize there were two. To pray, to pray, to pray with all saints, to pray. That's the activity. Not cutting off heads. Praying. Then a good conscience. It's the barefoot on the holy ground. It is nothing stands between me and God. Again, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, our weapons are used internally as well as externally to pull down strongholds in our heart and the hearts of others. You see, Until those strongholds are pulled down in our own hearts, we cannot point to the strongholds in others. To cast down, defeat arguments against the Lord or any high thing that separates us from God, any priorities that are in opposition to God being the priority of our life, any idols that we might bring every thought under the authority of Jesus Christ, And only after our obedience to Jesus is accomplished, according to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 6, are we effective for service and ready to punish all disobedience. Only when our own hearts and minds are in alignment with God, being faithful and saying yes to God, that good conscience, I am right with God. When faith and a good conscience are rejected, there will be shipwreck. Like Hymenaeus and Alexander were examples of this shipwreck. Note how Paul deals with the opposition. He doesn't start a campaign against them. He does not cancel them. He does not go to war with them. Rather, Paul simply stops praying and fighting for them. He releases them to Satan. He doesn't do this so that they will die or be destroyed, or even lost, but so they will learn not to blaspheme, not to speak against Jesus. 
Remember, Paul used to be a blasphemer, but he was saved by the grace of God. Hymenaeus and Alexander need to feel the reality of Satan. One woman that I talked to whose daughter committed suicide said to me, I wish I had told her about Satan. I kept everything about Satan away from her. She was unprepared for evil when it showed up. One of the reasons I watch true crime I justify it because there is evil. There is true evil. These men needed to feel what it was to be vulnerable to Satan so that they would run to Jesus. They needed to feel the heat of hell scorching the bottom of their feet. When one of my children was in a pattern and a path that was leading to destruction, and I couldn't dissuade her with words, and all of my actions were counterproductive, I prayed, and one of my prayers was that the bottom of her feet would be scorched by the reality of Satan and hell so that she would hate it, that she would know the reality of it and run to Jesus. Interestingly enough, the devil was unmasked. She came back home, and I remember she I would wake up in the middle of the night and every single light in the house would be on, every light. All the lights in her bedroom, she had three, the lights in the bathroom, the lights in all the hallways, all the lights downstairs. She told me that every time the lights went out, she saw Satan in the corner of her room laughing at her. She would go to a party in different places and she said, Mom, I saw the devil and he wanted me and he was laughing at me. When she received Jesus, when she turned her life all the way back to Jesus, I mean, she ran into the arms of Jesus. She didn't need the external lights because Jesus became that light. Sometimes there is the need for those who are blaspheming, who are deconstructing their faith to remember There is a devil. There is evil. And there are men who are possessed of evil. I talked to a woman one time who had um, been a psychologist at um, the prison where Manson was. And she was told to go into Manson's room and talk to him. And she said she had never felt the true presence of evil as when he walked into that room. Are you constantly telling God all the reasons that you can't? Are you afraid of the opposition? Oh, friends, I want you to feel the power, the thrill, the glory of enabling grace. And as long as you stay in your comforts and you tell God no, or you say next year, next month, you put it off, you will not know that enabling grace that God is holding out to you and wants you to know and operate in. All you need is a willing heart. Years ago, there was a woman named Jenny Mitchell. She was a missionary. She went all over the world. She had a daughter who was serving in Africa. And the place she was serving in Africa was a dangerous place. In fact, she said that when she would go get 
her food. She had to have them um, shoo the flies off of the cut of meat so she could see what cut of meat she was getting. Um, the water had to be strained and boiled and distilled before they could drink it. And she just got tired. She couldn't do it. She said, Lord, I don't even like this people. I don't like this place. I hate everything. I don't even want to be a missionary. And one day when she was sitting with her mother, Jenny, she just poured out her heart and says, I'm done. I don't want this. I know everyone's a missionary in this family, but not me. I'm tired. I'm sick. I don't want to do this anymore. And her mother, instead of saying, oh, what's wrong with you? You should be so happy. You're a missionary. What a call. She said, oh, dearest, there's nothing wrong with you that a willing heart won't fix. Daughter thought, I don't need a willing heart. I need a plane ticket. (laughs) I need to get out of here. And her mother grabbed her hand and said, Father, give her a willing heart. That was it. Jesus' name, amen. The next day, she said, all right, Lord, I'll just say yes to you. All of a sudden, she began to love the people, even love the place and all the idiosyncrasies, everything that she hated the week before, the month before, she began to embrace. And she ended up living the rest of her life in Africa and dying there and, being, and asking to be buried there because she so loved it. And it all was just due to a willing heart. That's all God needs is a willing heart. One that will say, yes, he'll do the rest. He'll give you the enabling grace. He'll do everything that you need. This morning, we want to offer you prophetic prayer. I've asked all the leaders to come forward. And if you've never had anyone pray over you, I don't want to know your needs. All you need to do is give us your name, and we'll take it from there, and we will pray over you. And we've asked God to enable us, to fill us, so that we might prophesy over you. So if that's you, if you have time, stay. If you don't have time, try to make time next week to stay and get that prayer, okay? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your enabling grace. Thank you that you are everything and you do everything because you are the king. You are eternal. You are immortal. You are the only wise God who works in invisible realms. To you is all the honor. To you is all the glory. Now and forevermore. And all of God's daughters said, which means so be it, bring it on, yes.